today in concluding this, I think, maybe not, concluding the series To Be His, and if I were going to subtitle this particular one, I would call it One. Everybody say One. O-N-E. I would, I would subtitle this as One for the reasons I just spoke a moment ago. And, and as we move along, and as I point out a few things on a scripture that everyone in this room has probably heard before, you've probably had it read to you many times, I want to break it down very easily into three simple points today to help each of us recognize the opportunity that lies ahead of us. I can tell you that no matter what your background, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter what you've said, who you've killed, who you've raised up, I'm talking about with your words. Your actions, your deeds, whatever it might be. No matter how good you've been, no matter how bad you've been, we've all had our moments. We've all had the good ones, amen? We've all had the bad ones, amen? Everyone who had a bad one this morning, stand up. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But we've all had those moments. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. What matters is today that I enter in to what he wants to do because there is a place he wants to take me. Did you hear me this morning? There is somewhere that the Father wants to take you and me. And that somewhere is beyond where you are right now. I just want you to understand, this isn't it. This moment isn't it. Kevin, did you say thank goodness? Kevin doesn't like this moment. We're going to get him out of this moment. (laughs) I know. But this isn't the destination. This is part of the journey. So let's talk about today what it means to be his. And I'm going to begin by asking this question. If you're following along in the app, if you follow along on Sunday, you click on that tab, you'll, you'll see what I'm about to read to you. What does it mean to belong to Christ? And what does it look like to be completely His? What does it mean to belong to Christ? What does it look like to be completely His? Let's try to answer those questions today, and let's begin by reading out of Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 1, and it reads like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who can testify of the goodness of God, Therefore, since we are surrounded by those who can testify of the goodness of God that have gone on before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run. I really like that. Well, I like that spiritually speaking. I'm not a runner in the natural at all. I'm not. But I like to run by the Spirit. I'm a runner, man. When it gets spiritual things... Father, show me where I'm headed, and I'm telling you, I'm going to run, and I will not grow weary. I'm going to to run this thing out, and I'm going to find the end of this thing. He said, let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. You know what? This message that I'm preaching today probably wouldn't fit with every congregation gathered around the world today. But it fits with this congregation gathered today. 
It fits with everybody gathered in this room today, and I'll tell you why. Because we are running the race with perseverance that is marked out for you and me. We are going to be responsible and liable for the words and the direction that the Father puts in us. Can we run that with endurance? Thank you, Archie. Thank you, whoever said that. Can we run the race with endurance? Let me make it personal. Can you run the race with endurance? Are you capable of running this race? It doesn't matter if you run in the natural. Can you run this race with endurance? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Man, I love that. I love that. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We can't dive into that a lot today, but I could dive into that another day and I might. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured what was coming, <clears throat> the cross. He scorned its shame. <clears throat> it was shameful to be hung on a cross. But he said I, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down because of it at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded, excuse me just a second, and shouting we were doing a minute ago, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he was willing to endure the cross. He saw the joy as being greater than the suffering. He saw the end as greater than the means. Scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's begin with this point this morning. To be his. Everybody say this with me. To be his is to disconnect ourselves from all that hinders us. I like feedback, so let's say it again because you said it so well. There's just a unison there was beautiful. To be His, to be his. Is, to is to disconnect ourselves, ourselves. From, all that hinders us. from all that hinders us. So let me ask a question, make it personal. Please don't answer except for to yourself. What is present that hinders you? What is present in you that hinders you? What might be, whether it be in your mind, whether it be in your memory, whether it be in your emotion, whether it be in your spirit, what might be in you that hinders you from running the race with endurance? What might be present in you that hinders you from becoming completely? That's an amazing word right there. Is there anything in you that hinders you from becoming completely? Everybody say completely. Completely, completely his. Completely, man, that's, that's all consuming. That leaves no room for doubt. What might be in you that hinders you from becoming completely His? I want to say this today. I don't know what that is, but I can, as I reflect on, I love history. And as I reflect on times past, and I think of all the ways, and we've touched base on this previously, but I reflect on the dinosaur age, and I reflect on uh, all the things, the insects, and, and all the little critters that they found in tar pits, and, and, and just completely embossed. In, in the ember, or the, uh, what is it, amber, completely embossed in that. And it's amazing to me when I reflect back on that, how they got into that. And I thought, you know, what is tar really? So I looked up the definition of tar, and I want to read this to you. 
It's a dark, oily, viscous material consisting mainly of hydrocarbons produced by the destructive distillation of organic substances such as wood, coal, or peat. That might not mean anything to you, but it made me jump. The destructive distillation. It consists of the destructive distillation of things that are organic. Let's leave it right there. Tar is what's left over when destruction has come and completely destroyed something. And it's interesting to me that the animals that we've found in, throughout history and that we use as an example and it preserves whatever might have been captured in it, it preserves that when they find these things and they uncover them, the critter, the thing, the item, the insect, whatever it might be, might be completely and entirely intact, yet in it there is no life. That thing was running, that thing was walking, that thing was meandering aimlessly at some point in time and stumbled into this tar pit that kept it from finishing its race. It stumbled into this thing that when it put its first foot in there, it got into that tar and when it pulled it out, that sticky goo stayed attached. So in its own thinking, it thought, if one foot can't get out, maybe two can. Let me add strength. To the weakness of the other. Puts the other foot in, tries to pull out, and suddenly it's in. Puts another foot in until it realizes this thing has begun to destructively distill me, destructively incapacitate me, destructively render me incapable of running my race. I've gotten caught up in something. Time will tell. Time will tell in the future will let people know that I stumbled into a tar pit that I did not get out of, and it is not a mark for me. It is a mark against me. I hope I never find myself stuck in a tar pit. I hope you never find yourself stuck in a tar pit. I hope you never find yourself hindered from the purpose of God because you stopped running the race. You stopped allowing him to give you insight and direction. And when he told you there was a hindrance coming, a tar pit in front of you, you didn't listen so you did not know to walk around. To be his is to disconnect myself from everything that hinders me. It is to come to the tar pit. It is to come to that thing that was not purposed for me. To disconnect myself from what hinders me to be His is to look at this thing that is present and to say, ah, I see. Now, first of all, I I want to think, I want to believe that if I came upon a tar pit, I would smell it. Because I don't like the smell of tar. Asphalt, when they're putting it down, I don't like the smell of tar. I would want to think that I would arrive at that thing and say, not for me. Take a big whiff, go another direction. But animals, they're animals. So maybe they don't do that. But I'm telling you, when we come to that tar pit, and when we see it, I want to believe that all of us are going to, by listening to Holy Spirit, recognize this is not accounted to me. Just because it's a deadly thing or a serpent, just because it's evil, doesn't mean you have to eat it drink it, or try to walk across it. Is anybody hearing me this morning? 
When the Father puts something, to be His is to recognize, Father, I want to be yours, but by being yours, I'm going to run a race with endurance. I'm going to enter into this thing, and my intention is to finish the race. So if this looks like a shortcut, I'm not taking it. Because I want to finish the race with perseverance and with an endurance that says I finished it right. When I got to the finish line, when I got to the end, I was absent nothing in me that you intended for me to experience. My wife is a marathon runner. She loves running marathons, as some of you in this room are, and she loves that, and I don't know how many she's run, quite a few, but she has run these marathons, and she has shared with me about this particular place that you get to when you run a marathon, and it's called the wall. And when they're out there and they're running, what mile is that? Mile 22 or something like that? Mile 18. Mile 18 is considered the wall. And it, mile 1 is my wall. I'll just tell you right now. Actually, the starting, starting line was mile 1. But she'd get out there and she would line up and she would go. And she'd get up there and, and, and they'd talk about after the race was over, whoever ran the race, they, we, would be, we would get together and we'd have lunch or whatever and I would look at them and I'm in amazement and just in awe that they were able to accomplish. And, but then they all engage in, man, we ran that race, we finished that race, but man, the wall. Wow. That wall was tough. We get to mile 18 and it's a known thing, the wall. Look it up. It's a known thing. Everybody runs into this thing. As they get to that one point and all of a sudden it feels like I'm not going to make it. There's no way I'm going to make it another 8.2 miles. It's just too far. I made it 18, but I can't make it another 8.2. And there's something that they have to do in their mind, and they have to begin to, 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 to lean on things. They, gotta, they be, have to begin to uh, trust why they're running this race, and they have to begin to ask themselves all the things that they're doing. It, it, this wall, if, if, if they don't look at this thing and press through this thing, they will not finish, and that thing will become a hindrance to their purpose. And I'm going to tell you in believers' lives today, whether no matter how long we've been a believer, we could have been a believer since yesterday morning, since five minutes ago, or 30 years ago. How long we've been a believer is irrelevant. I can tell you there's always a wall that the enemy is going to try to raise up. There's something he's going to try to raise up that will hinder you from being able to finish the race that the Father's called you to. And he's calling you, we're going to get to it in a moment, but he's calling you to do a few things that are going to help you remember why you ran that race in the first place. Lean on Holy Spirit who is a revealer of truth. I'm going to tell you, truth is unequivocal. There's nothing ambiguous about truth. Truth is, it is what truth is. Man, when you hang on to that truth and you're running that race and you're getting in there and, and you, you disconnect yourself from everything that hinders, the thoughts that get in your mind, I can't do it, have to be replaced with the thoughts that say, I can do it. I've prepared for this thing. I've been called to this and I'm going to finish this thing. And when you push through it, freedom comes. And you cross that finish line. Secondly, I want to talk about this. To be his is to run the race with determination. To run the race with determination. Sometimes we get to a place where questions in our mind outnumber the answers that we have. And then our mind immediately enters into a fog. Has anybody ever had a foggy mind? Mm -hmm. Everybody in this room. Everybody under the sound of my voice. There's been times you've entered into a place. It just seems like everything got foggy. Everything got clouded up. What do I do now? Where do I go? How do I finish this thing? And in our mind, we begin to try to put together this way or that way. We begin to think about all the ways that we failed instead of thinking about all the ways that we can succeed. To run with determination isn't to reflect on what has held me back. 
It is to reflect on what propels me forward. It is at this time that you call upon your reserves and you answer the questions that you have answers to. When you don't know, how do I answer this? How do I respond to that? Answer what you can. Why did I begin this race? Why did I get in this race in the first place? I'm, I'm determined to run this race. I've gotten to this, again, the wall. I've gotten to this place. Why did I enter this race in the first place? I want to get in shape. It's a cardio thing. I just love to run, which I, really, honestly, for me, I don't even understand that. That is, my mind doesn't go there. People that say, I love running, and I'm thinking, why? I don't love running, unless you're chasing me with a weapon. (laughs) Then I love running. Why did I begin this race? Question number one. Ask yourself that. I'm going to run this race with with endurance. I'm going to run this race with determination. Sometimes I have to remind myself, I have to dig deep, I have to get into the reserves when my mind is foggy and I run into this place where, man, I'm just not certain if I'm going in the right direction. I have to ask myself, why, am I, why did I start it? Why did I start it? Only you have the answer to that for you. Why did I start this race? Why did I begin? Why was this important to me? Why was it important that I even began this race when I entered into a relationship with Christ? Why was it important to me then? Why? Why? If suddenly I find myself, you know, I'm uncertain that I even hear the voice of God. I'm uncertain that Christ is even aware of where I'm at. I don't know that I hear the voice of Holy Spirit. Don't focus on that. What you focus on is why did I begin this race? I began this race because there was a calling in me. Something called out to me. Something cried out to me and said, this is the way walk in it. And that might be. That might be the only Gatorade that you get to drink at that moment to give you the strength to take the next step. But let it be that. He reached out to me, and I answered the call. Why was it important when I began? What will this race produce in me? And I've got to run this thing with determination, and sometimes when that determination seems like it's fading, what is this thing going to produce in me? You know... I run into this thing and I run into that thing and I run into this challenge and I run into that challenge and and it's just everything gets all lost in those challenges and I'm not seeing the victories. And he says, get determined. Remind yourself what you said in the beginning this thing was going to produce in you. When you started that marathon, when you started running that race, you started running that race because you knew when you got to the end you got a little medal with Mickey Mouse's face on it. And that was really important to you. Because you want to hang that on your wall somewhere for about three days before you take it down and put it in a box and in the attic. (laughs) You're going to run that thing because you're going to get Mickey's face or Donald's face or whoever's face they put on that thing. But if that's important to you and that's the reason you're running that race, then run it. But if, if there's another reason, whatever it is, for every individual it's different. I'm running this race. I'm determined to run this race. And I'm going to do it because I know it's going to produce something in me. It's going to change my attitude about health fitness, or in the kingdom of God, running this race, reminding myself why I'm determined to run this race. I'm determined because I know that running this thing, even in the highs and the lows, I know that at the end of this race, I know that the Father's going to say to me, well done, you good and faithful servant. You are a son or a daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I'm going to run. I'm going to run. I'm going to run this race with determination. And then you ask yourself too, sometimes you have to remind yourself, who am I running this race for? I'm going to break some bad news for you, to you. If you're in this place this morning, you're under the sound of my voice wherever you might be. If you're running this, pers- this race for the person to the right of you or to the left of you, or to somebody that lives across the United States or someone that lives across the world, if you're running this race for somebody else, you will not finish it. 
you will not finish the race. Because when they don't say thank you enough. You need to hear me. When they don't pat you on the back enough. When they don't call you up and say, I'm aware of what you're doing for me. Thank you. When they don't do that, you'll stop running the race. You need to remember who you're running the race for. And this thing called the kingdom, this race that we run, this journey that we are on to know the Father, to learn about Him by Holy Spirit, to be connected to Him through Jesus Christ. As we move through this journey and we go through this thing, we're not doing this. You're not running this race. You're not walking out this journey. For the person to your right, to your left, your son or your daughter, your mama, your daddy, your aunt, your uncle, your grandmother, your grand, whoever it might be, you are not running this race for them. You're running this race for you. You're running this race because the Father called you to something. If you will run that race well, the race you run will be a testimony. Suddenly, your race will become part of the cloud of witnesses. That is a testimony. If you get to mile 10 and you say, you know what, I don't know if Julie's worth this race. I don't know if Johnny's worth it. I hope there's no Julie or Johnny, but I don't, I don't know if they're worth this race. If, they're, if you're here, I'm trying to find a name that... I don't know if... Never mind. I don't know if they're worth this race. You know what you're going to do? You're going to get up there to the next tent that has water in it and an Oreo cookie. For me, it would be cheesecake. I passed the first tent with cheesecake, I'm done. And you're going to get to that place if you're running it for somebody else, and you're going to pull off, and you're going to drink, and you're going to talk yourself right out of that. My wife and I love this little show called Alone. I don't know, anybody watch Alone on the History Channel? We love that little show. It's really cool. We were watching it last night. It's always funny because these people, they get on this show, and they get into about, like right right now, I think they're at week seven or week eight out there all by themselves. Nobody's around them. And they all get to the same place. They're in their tent. One minute, they literally, they show them, and these people are talking about, you know, I'm not pushing the button. I got into this because my mama is poor, and she's always been poor, and I'm going to bring home $500,000 for my mama. That's the way they start this thing all the time. Funniest one was the guy that said on day one, I ain't pushing the button. Day two, he saw a bear, and he was out. Or they're like, I am not going, I'm not pushing this button. And then they get into where they are right now, they're whatever week they're in, and they get into that week, and every one of them, everybody who's still there, every one of them, they're, they're, they start it by saying, you know, I'm not pushing the button, you know, I'm in this for Mama, I'm in this for Aunt Susie, I'm in this for whoever. And then suddenly they eat beaver or something, and they get this sickness in their gut, and they're like, you know, is it really worth it? Aunt Susie's made it this far. Yeah. I'm sure she's going to be okay. (laughs) Uncle Johnny will take care of Aunt Susie. But every now and then, I said to my wife the other day, I said the the person I've enjoyed the most was the one Christian guy that they had on that series. I don't remember which season it was, but he won it. I think it was season two. But he was the only Christian guy that I'm aware of that was on that show. He's the only guy that I ever remember. We were literally talking about last night. He's the only guy I remember never saying, it's not worth it. 
And he never tried to act like, I'm doing this for this one, I'm doing that for that one. He's like, I'm doing this for me. Yeah. And then when I get the money, then I can decide after I get off here. But first of all, i got to have the right focus. I'm doing this for me. I want to eat tomorrow. So I better go shoot a deer or a rabbit or whatever it is they're getting. Or with a bow and arrow. I'm amazed, first of all, they use bow and arrows like that. I thought, if I depended on a bow and arrow to survive, I'm out. I've never shot a bow and arrow in my entire life. I'm telling you, if I got out there and they put me in alone in the middle of wherever they're at, and I saw a rabbit and I pulled out the bow and arrow, I'm starving to death. The rabbit is fine, and he would know that. The rabbit would look at me, laugh his little chirpy laugh, and he'd be gone. Wouldn't even think anything of it. But who am I running this race for? To be his is to run a race with determination. You've got you to know this about you. You're not running the race for somebody around you. You're running the race for you. Put your hands on yourself. Say this. Say, I'm running the race race. for me. me. You know what's awesome about that? Just what I said a moment ago, what's awesome about that? You run that race for you, and you succeed in running that race. All those people that you used to run it for will be a witness to that race, and it will change their life. Then they'll run their own race. We've said to our children throughout their entire, we don't say it to them anymore because they're not children anymore. They're all grown adults. But we used to say to our children all the time, the day will come when he will no longer be mom and dad's God to you. He will be your God. You're going to run your own race. Run the race with determination. Thirdly, to be his is to set our eyes on the joy that is set before us. Whoo, man. Okay, I just want to ask you a question. How many right now, sitting in this room, you're under the sound of my voice right now. How many right now, you see joys that are set before you? Show me your hand. You see things set before you. Man, you see joys that are set before you. You haven't reached them yet. You can't touch them. You put your arm way out there, and it's, boy, you just close. But you see it, man. It's coming into focus. You, you, you see there's, there's joys, whatever those joys might be. Man, you see it. He says, to be his, he said, set your eyes on the joys that are set before you. And don't just set your eyes on the joys you set before yourself, although I believe that we serve a God that wants to give us the desires of our heart as long as they're in line with his will and purpose. And there's nothing wrong with your joy being something that seems selfish as long as it's in line with his word and purpose. We don't come into something, but don't ever come into something because you want it for you and then not be willing to use it to serve others. That's what makes the difference. We're not going to hang out there. To be his is to set our eyes on the joys that are set before us. I love this that I'm about to share with you, and I want you to write it down if you're not following along in the app. If you are, it's in the app. I put it in there this morning. The promises of God are everlasting to everlasting. He does not repent of his promises. Don't you love that? He's not like us. He doesn't make a promise and then forget it. When we do that, we're human. We do that from time to time. And we need somebody to remind us, hey, what about this? And then sometimes you don't even remember when they remind you. And that's because you're over 40. But everybody else hasn't, you know. Sorry about that. I'm over 50, so man, I, I don't remember anything, so... The promises of God are everlasting to everlasting. Now listen to this. The Hebrew word, this is what I love about this, because King David in the Psalms, when he would sing a song, he was such a worshiper, such a praiser. And he used that word, I don't even know how many times he used the word everlasting. And there's a reason he would use that word everlasting. And the word for everlasting in Hebrew is alam, alame, I'm sorry, alame. It is alame. Do you know what that means? 
Everlasting in the Hebrew, and I'm going to read it exactly like it's written, it is eternity behind us and all of time in front of us. I want you to wrap your mind around this for a second. So when we hear the word everlasting, what we immediately, our mind goes to, our interpretation of that word goes to everlasting means everything that's out there in front of us. But that isn't what it means to the Father. What everlasting means to the Father, and I want to read this statement again, the promises of God are everlasting to everlasting. That means when I consider that they are a lame, His promises are everything behind me, It is infinity behind me, all the way to infinity in front of me. You need to get what I just said to you. His promises are infinity behind me, all the way to infinity in front of me. Now, what does that mean? It means people are coming into agreement. What does that mean? See... In our mind, if we're not careful, what will happen is, if we interpret the word everlasting incorrectly, that His promises are for us, to be His, is to recognize those, to, to see the joys that have been set before us, we need to recognize that that word before us doesn't represent what's in front of us. It represents what was before us and what is before us. Can you get that this morning? Are you seeing the visual there? His promises are everlasting. That means the promises that are behind you that you think, okay, I've missed my moment. I made a bad choice and I missed my moment. I thought I heard him, but I didn't. I missed my moment. That's our mind. That's our interpretation of everlasting. Because in our world, everlasting is only what's in front of us. But the Father says, in Hebrew, the Father said, everlasting is infinity behind me to infinity in front of me. So that means this. While in our mind we say, I've missed this moment. All these moments, all these possibilities, all of these things. And the Father says, nah, nah, nah. You better read that again. You better listen to me again. You might have missed it there, but my everlasting promise to you is that the promises that you think you missed are still available as long as you recognize you're not in front of that. You're not beyond that. You're in the middle of it. And every promise I ever gave, infinity before, infinity beyond, all of that still belongs to you. Every promise. If you will set your eyes on the joy set before you. So that means I'm going to set my eyes on the joys that he's, those things he's promised me, not only on what's that way, but also what's this way. I'm going to do this. I'm, what are you doing, Steve? I'm setting my eyes on the joy set before, I'm getting busy. I'm setting my eyes on the joy set before me. What do you mean? That's not before you, that's around you. Yeah, because for him, everlasting means all the way there, all the way there, all the way there to all the way there. So whatever he ever promised me, those promises aren't lost. I said those promises aren't lost. Those promises are not lost. Do you hear me today?
They are everlasting. His promises are everlasting to everlasting. They are alame, eternity behind and all of time in front. So do you have vision for what lies ahead? Let me ask it differently. Let me ask it differently. Are you ready for this? This is just going to kind of tinker with your natural mind a little bit. It messes with Adam, but it doesn't mess. It messes with the Adam of the earth, but not with the Adam of Christ. Do you have vision for what lies ahead? Let's say it this way. Do you have vision for what lies before you? Before and before. Do you still have vision and faith to be his? Is to have vision that is 360 vision. I got to see what's before me. And I got to see what he's put before me. Before me and before me. Before me and before me. What does it look like to you though? When you look ahead, what does your vision look like? What it, when your vision and your sight, what are you seeing? Are you seeing struggle? Are you seeing pain? Are you seeing joy? I can tell you that we have all of these, but, 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 but. He didn't say set your eyes on the struggles before you or before you. Set your eyes on the pain before you, before you. He said, I want you to do this. I want you to set your eyes on the joys that are before you and before you. Set your eyes on those things that bring life that are before you and before you today. So what are the possibilities before you that put a smile on your face? <laughs> or tickling your stomach or skipping your step? Set your eyes on these things. Naturally and spiritually. To be His is to set my eyes on the joy set before me. To recognize nothing is lost that He cannot restore. Nothing is broken that he cannot fix. Never been a Humpty or a Dumpty that he has not been able to put back together again. Somebody say amen. Stand with me if you would please.